dive back into the book of James, the letter of James. If you've not been here, this is your first time at Vintage. Steve Hambrick, the lead pastor here at Vintage. Really glad that you are here. Uh, we are about nine weeks into our study of James. So we're going to be ending James chapter four this morning. And then next week we will begin James chapter five. And we'll just go a couple more weeks and then we'll have gone all the way through the letter of James. It's a short one. Uh, this morning, James is going to be talking about the decisions that we are making, specifically speaking to business leaders this morning, but specifically to all of us who are believers who are making decisions in life. And so you can dive in with me in verse 13, uh, James chapter 4, going to verse 17 in your own Bible, or you can follow along with me on the screen. It says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. So again, one of the things I want you to just understand about James, like this is not a hard message to get, right? Like when James is speaking here, he's just being very, very direct. And what he says is what he means and what he means is what he says, right? So it's really, really clear. He's coming into the moment and talking about the decisions we're making in life, the, the, the things that we're doing, whether they are the will of the Lord or not, and how we're going about making those decisions. And so with that in mind, I want to begin with a personal story because the decisions that really, like we didn't, the decisions. Decisions ultimately in life that I believe that James is getting at are these decisions that impact our life and the future that we're moving, we have moving forward with Jesus. And one of those moments for me I think about is the moment when Randall and I got engaged, right? That was obviously a few years ago, but Randall and I had been in that moment. We had been dating. We had been hanging out, right? We'd been getting to know each other. We were falling in love together. It was such a great season of life. We're talking for hours on the phone together. It's like, you, you hang up first. No, you hang up first, right? We're having these dumb moments. We didn't do it too many times, but we did it some, right? We're just kind of doing life. And so in this week on the phone, I'll be with the Lord and I'm praying, God, is this the one? Is this direction that we're going? So I had been praying into it, felt very strongly from the Lord. Yes, this is the one that I have for you, right? It's good, it's good and it's right. And so I began the process. I went down one day, I bought a ring, I picked out the date. She was living in Omaha, Nebraska at the time, just for a short season. So I had already talked to everyone in Omaha about me coming out and surprising her. The plans are in place. It's going to be epic, right? I can't wait to go. And so I, uh, so the day comes, right? The day comes. I have everything planned, bags packed, everything's planned. And I wake up in the morning and I think about the gravity of this life decision and that it is going to be this decision that literally lasts forever. And I went, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Jesus. Did I make a mistake, right? Because that's what happens when you come to those moments like, I prayed about it. She's great. But I'm like, what is, this is this is a long time. I'm not sure I've ever made a decision quite as big as this in my life. This impacts everything. I'm like, what if I didn't misheard you? What if I missed you, Jesus? Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay, Jesus. I'm literally in my bedroom. I'm like, i got to leave in 10 minutes. What am I doing? I'm like, huh, I can't even talk myself. Logically, I can just talk myself at a moment like that. But I couldn't do it this moment. I'm like, oh, Jesus.
says, okay, God, I'm about to do something, Jesus. I don't even believe in it, but I'm going to do it anyway, God. Okay, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to flip through my Bible. I'm going to drop it and put my finger down, God. I don't even believe in this, but I'm going to do it anyway, Lord. I just need grace. Help me out in the moment, Jesus. So I started like, because I'm going to put more of my finger on. It's going to be you, okay, Jesus. So I'm like, I'm flipping. And I know, flip a little longer. Don't do the Old Testament because bad things happen in the Old Testament. Let's get to the New Testament. So I'm left a little longer, right? Whatever it is. And all of a sudden I drop and I just go, boom, put my finger down. And it says, divorce. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, right? And but if you know, I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I just spent a lot of money on this ring. Oh, my gosh. No. But if you know, I mean, that's Mark 10. Mark 10, where Jesus is asked about marriage. He says, hey, the two, and then go, I keep on reading. He says, the two shall leave the places that they have been, and they shall become one flesh. And what God puts together, man should not separate. And in the moment, I was like, God, thank you. And that was not very nice of you to put my finger on that word divorce, right? God is having a moment with me, right? I've never done that ever since, right? But it was one of those moments where in his grace, because why? Because in the moment of the gravity and the weight of this massive life decision, I recognized I could not rely on me. I had to lean into Jesus, In that moment, my knowledge and my thoughts were not enough. I had to be sure and confident that Jesus was leading me into this moment. And he just thought it would be funny to let me put my finger on divorce because that's just the way he is sometimes, right? But in his goodness, he says, but I hear you, son, and this is my will. You see, it's one of those things in life. That James is coming into these moments in these verses, and he's speaking about these life decisions. And the actual interesting thing here for James is he's actually, we're going to look at this in a second, he's actually directly speaking to Christian business leaders. Like this is actually a business conversation But it's actually a message for everyone. And the message is super simple. Jesus must be the source of all of your life decisions. Like, they must start with him, go through him, and end with him. It's this understanding that Jesus must be the filter and the source and going through of everything we do in life decisions. So this morning, I want to go verse by verse, 13 through 17 this morning, as we dive into what James is getting at in the context of our life. So in verse 13, in these verses, James is names a very, very common business plan in Jewish times. He's literally just naming a business plan. It's important to note that, that business travel, actually in the first century, it was very common. So Jews specifically traveled widely for work in the context of their life. And this is the plan that they would follow. If you have your Bibles, you can just look at what I'm about to go through. This is their plan. So first, they would take materials. They would take resources from their hometown. They would go and travel to a foreign city. And they would sell everything that they had for a profit. They would then take that money. They would buy other stuff. 
And after about a year, year and a half, they would go into another city year and do the exact same thing over and over and over and over again until they accumulated enough wealth and they would return home. They would retire and they would just live prosperously after the hard work that they had done. This was the Jewish dream. Right. We have the American dream. This was the Jewish dream. He's just naming the business plan that everyone was adhering to or a lot of people were adhering to in the context of the church. And the thing I want you to see in the context of this is he's directly speaking to leaders. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are followers in the world and there are leaders. Followers are always looking for what? Someone to lead them. Leaders, who are they looking to? Themselves, because they think they know best. Right? Like, I heard some guy say one time, I said, I learn the most by listening to myself talk, right? Like, that's what we find so often in the context of leaders, that they just feel very confident leading in themselves because of their own personal knowledge and their own personal gifting and their skill set. And so James is coming in the moment saying, hey, this plan, listen, guys, it really is a good one, Right? Like, you can apply it to our American dream. Hey, work really, really hard. Climb the corporate ladder. Keep on getting raises. When you hit that certain age, you can retire and become a great golfer. Right? Whatever it may be. We have this whole mindset. But James comes in the moment and says, hey, that's a great business plan except for one part. There's absolutely no wisdom in it. That's what he says. There's absolutely no wisdom in it because what we don't find in this Plan is Jesus. Like, that sounds super simple to say, right? It's like, oh, but there's no Jesus in that. There's a plan. It's the Jewish dream, how they're going to live their life. We're going to live here for a year, make some money, live here for a year, make some money. And we get to a certain point, a certain a certain amount that we reach, we know, boom, we've reached it. Then we can go back and we can live off of that and live in prosperity the rest of our lives. And we can then be a blessing to our family as we leave something behind for them. It's the Jewish dream. And he's coming and saying, listen, guys, that's a great plan. Again, that there's no Jesus in it. All he sees in the plan is a lot of self and no Jesus, and there can be no wisdom in planning for James if Jesus is not the source, the center, and the end. So he comes in in verse 14, and he appeals, he appeals to their logic in challenging, quote-unquote, their wisdom. It's a practical argument that he makes. It says, listen, how can you plan with such confidence when you have no idea what will happen Tomorrow, you can listen. How can you plan with such confidence when you have no idea what will happen tomorrow? The argument James is making against these business decisions, it's not that they don't care about Jesus. They probably do, but they're acting as if they don't need him or his leadership in the decisions that they are making for themselves. They probably love having Jesus present. But they're not leaning into him, looking to him, and seeking ultimately his will for the decisions that they're making. Instead, they trust their own wisdom, they trust their own knowledge, they trust their own skill sets, and they trust their own ability. And then he ends with this illustration that he uses to create a clear understanding of how they should view themselves 
and honestly how we should view ourselves. So I'm going to read this in James's point. Say, listen, if you want to know how to view yourself, yes, you're a child of God, but this, this is you in comparison to God. He says, second half of verse 14, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. Right? Like, you're dangerous, but you're a mist. Right? Going back to the thing, you're dangerous in the kingdom, but you, in comparison to God and the wisdom of God, you're just a mist. Right? He's contrasting, con- comparing, contrasting our life impact with the life impact of God. Our life knowledge and wisdom, it's tiny. It's a mist. It's short-lived. God's knowledge and wisdom, it's timeless and it's backed by an eternal perspective. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but like, you know, when you read John three sixteen in different versions, and one says you will have everlasting life, and the other one says you have eternal life, right? Like, you know everlasting and eternal are not synonyms, right? Like, they're two separate words. Everlasting is there's a beginning point that has no end, right? So doesn't exist, doesn't exist, doesn't exist, and then it exists, but it never dies or never ends. Eternal means it has no beginning and it has no end, but actually lives in the context of all time at the same time as one. What does it even mean? Well, it's simply this. It's like back to the future stuff, guys. It's like, man, like God can go back in time right now, live in the present, and go to the future all the same time. God already lives over there where we haven't been yet because he's eternal. He has no beginning and no end, which simply means he's bigger than we are. So all I'm saying is this. Does that make any sense? I can't quite compute that exactly. I'm trying to make the point that James is getting at. Listen, you're a miss, and he's eternal. And listen, does it make more sense to trust your wisdom as your misunderstanding of life or in his eternal nature of seeing history, present, and the future all at one time, putting it all together and making decisions that impact the best moving forward? Does that make sense? Like, like not necessarily like, I can't understand the space, space time continuum. I can't either. But I just know he lives inside of it and he lives outside of it all at the same time. So the point is, who is more wise? The person who is eternal or the mist? Should I do that again? Eternal or mist? Eternal! Right? You can laugh, guys. I'm completely fine at you laughing at me, right? Man, it's like, it's this deal. You're amidst God's knowledge and wisdom. This timeless is backed by an eternal perspective. Basically, he is wisdom. And we, well, we're nothing in comparison. Don't miss the takeaway and hear this. The greatest step we can take Listen, the greatest step we can take towards wisdom and in, in making life decisions is away from leaning into and trusting our knowledge and wisdom and learn how to listen, lean into, and follow Jesus. Like I said all of that to make that one point. James is saying, just stop trusting yourself and all of your own decisions because you're going to make bad decisions because you don't really know what you're doing. Just trust Jesus because he's eternal in his knowledge and his wisdom. 
He's trying to lead business leaders and trying to lead Christians to stop trusting self and their own abilities and their own brightness and their own mind and their own wisdom. That's what we see in verse 15. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. Instead, if the Lord wills, we will live, we'll do this or that. We should never live independently of God. We never make decisions independently of God. To not invite God into our life decisions speaks to self-sufficiency, self-confidence, and that's unhealthy. And for James, honestly, it's just viewed as being reckless and it's viewed as being dangerous. We must not only care about God's will, but we must learn to lean into and depend on it in all life decisions. Seeking his will and wisdom must become our greatest pursuit in life decisions. When you're making decisions, is your primary first thing to run into Jesus and ask him his thoughts? That's what he's saying. In every life decision, James is saying, if you just look at people, if you look at worldly wisdom, if you look at worldly counsel, it's not going to lead you because it's not true wisdom. It has to be led by Jesus because he is wisdom. And so he comes in. We see this actually expressed in the life of Paul multiple times. We see it like in Acts 18 Something verse, we see it in 1 Corinthians 4, we see it again in 1 Corinthians 16, I think we see it in Philippians 2. We see Paul expressing this lifestyle. But here's the thing, I want you to see this because I think it's actually really freeing. Kind of the, what I call the mechanism, the mechanism of going after God's will. We're going to talk about, I want you to hear that phrase, the mechanism of going after God's will. Why? Because every single one of us in this room have a mechanism that we use to go after God's will. How many of you create a pro and con list, show of hands, when you're making decisions? Yes, when he's like, right here, right, thank you. It's a mechanism that you use. Do you have specific people that you always turn to in major life decisions? I do, Right? Like there is, it's a mechanism, a way that it's like when you made decisions as a 15 year old versus when you're 45 years old like me, your mechanisms are different, right? Why? Because we've learned over the years, we failed at decisions and then we wanted some decisions. And I duplicate in the decisions where I won that actually led to life, that helped me. We all have a mechanism. And so we see in Paul is we see at least some of his mechanism. It's so interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Hey, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. Leave that on the screen for a second. So you're just getting a snapshot. Into Paul. So leave that up there. I'm just going to kind of walk through just a few of the things that I saw. It's not exhaustive, right? Number one, Paul has his own personal desires of what he wanted. Paul has his own personal desires of what he wanted. He's like, I feel like I should come over there, right? I feel like I should come over into town. Like he has his feelings. He has his own thoughts, right? 
Paul's desires, they were logical and they were wise in his own eyes. There were some arrogant people who were speaking against me, maligning the church, maligning the gospel that I've spoken. And so I'm just going to come over there because I think it's the best thing to do and challenge that because it's causing division in the body. That's not okay. So it makes sense to me that I would come. And Paul believed that he needed to come and be a spiritual parent for his children who were acting up. Like all of us logical, isn't it? So what do I see in this? This is the beauty of it. I see that Paul is exercising the free gift of thought that's been given to every single person to help be a part of the process of making decisions in life. He has his own knowledge. He has his own experience. He has his own understanding of theology, his own understanding of relationships, the things that he believes he should be doing and what's most wise and what he needs to do. But in that conversation, every plan was submitted to God, meaning as much as it, as much as it made sense in his own eyes, he wouldn't move unless God blessed it and called him to it. And I think that's where we miss it so often. Paul says, basically, hey, I've been thinking about, like, I want you to hear the nature of the relationship of this. Now, this is really important. Like, Paul's relationship is so profound with the Holy Spirit. Remember that one time in Acts, it says, it seemed good to me and whom? The Holy Spirit to come to you. Remember that from Acts? It seemed good to me and the Holy Spirit to come do this. What does that look, what does that mean? Well, it looks like to me, I'm just going to tell you what it looks like to me, okay? You can go read it for yourself. I forget where it is in Acts, so go find it. It seems to me like Paul is saying, I've got this unique dynamic of relationship with the Holy Spirit, that when I'm making life decisions, we sit down and we talk. We just talk and we hang out, we kind of process things. I kind of share some of my thoughts with him, like what's going on and where I need to go and what I need to be doing. I sit that we have a dialogue back and forth. I don't know if you know, but when friends talk, they dialogue back and forth, back and forth. So there's a dialogue going on to the point is, yeah, so I'm just talking to the Holy Spirit about coming to see you, but he hasn't released me yet. I'm not fully sure it's in his will for me to come do that. So I'm not going to do, even though it feels right to me, even though everything seems to be pointing towards that, even though it seems highly logical, I, in the context of my relationship with him, I don't feel released yet into his, in, as his will, so I'm not going to say I'm coming. I'm going to say if the Lord wills, because I haven't been released yet. Do you see his mechanism? High, high relationship, high, high thought process and thinking through things and looking at logic and doing pros and cons and understanding theology and understanding spiritual relationship between people and how they relate together and spiritual parenting. But I'm not going to come yet because I haven't been released because Holy Spirit in conversation with him has not released me yet. And all I'm doing is I'm just giving you what I see that James is trying to lead his people to, specifically as Christian business leaders. So he goes on, verse 16, he tells, he tells, or he tells us there are believers in the church who are boasting about their business knowledge and their ability acting as if their success has little to, little to nothing to do with Jesus, but instead mostly focuses on their own skills and their own abilities. Do you know anybody like that? 
whether at work or in life, all they do is they, they talk about the success and they never mention the name Jesus. They never mention his grace. They never mention his ability. That's all the, the millions that they've made, but never talk about it having ultimately been God moving and doing that work. They just talk about themselves. And you know what James says about those people? He says, guys, that, that's, uh, that's demonic and it's evil. That's what it says. I'm just going to go read. I'm going to let James, let you read, just see James, what he said in this again. This, these, aren't my, these aren't my words. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. He's specifically talking about those in the business realm, but these realities are present in every, every life decision people are making, right? In the life of everyone. People who just focus on, you see what I, you see what I did? It speaks to those whose primary mechanism for making decisions is focused on their personal wisdom, personal desire, personal knowledge, personal experience, personal conviction, personal ability, everything about the person, and no mechanism for focusing on Jesus first or on Jesus primarily. Looks good, but Jesus wasn't in it. Simple phrase you could just kind of live by. Jesus... This looks good, but it's up to you. And Jesus, I've done my homework. It looks good, but it's up to you. That's another way of saying, not my will, your will. Jesus, I've done this. I've looked, talked, but ultimately it's up to you. Open hands, every decision I'm making, Jesus, it's up to you. And then verse 17, hyper-practical here, okay, hyper-practical. It concludes with James's thoughts on wisdom and decision-making. He says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him or for her is sin. Right? Like really, really black and white here. Whoever knows the right thing to do, they don't do it and they fail at it. They're in sin. And the idea for James is clear. Kind of what he's saying is now that you know the truth, if you do not go and do it, then you are in sin. It's a warning. It's a warning that they are to heed. The thing I love about this basically is they may or and, and hear this. They may or may not have known the danger they were in before. Like, I don't know about you. That's like all day long. It's like they're intentionally leaving Jesus out of decisions in the plans that they're making, they're intentionally doing it. And I have a feeling that James is probably saying the same thing. I don't think you're intentionally trying to leave Jesus out of the equation. I think that you're like you're doing a lot of good things in your mechanism over here, like pros and con lists and seemingly it's wisdom and da 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 da. Like all of these things are good, but I'm just letting you know you're missing the point. You shared your plan. I don't see any submission to Jesus in any of it. Therefore, it's not wise. It's based off of your miss. You may be dangerous, but you're not being. Because you're focusing on self. So I'm just warning you as business leaders of people of great influence, be careful. Because if now that you know, if you keep on doing it, you'll be in sin. It's a warning. You got to get a grace period. You may not have known, hey, but I'm letting you know. So now you know. So stop doing what you're doing and create a new mechanism. Create a new mechanism. And so let's look at a new mechanism, a possible mechanism to be super simple. Like how do we, how do we submit our decisions to the Lord? 
How do we come and make decisions? We have to create a mechanism for decision-making, a way in which we have the freedom to think, give thoughts like Paul, but have the commitment to never move apart from being released by God. And here it is. Number one, we acknowledge his lordship. Number two, we invite him to lead in every decision. Three, we listen. And none of you know this enough, but once you listen, you need to obey. So acknowledge his lordship. What does this mean? Listen, the only way we surrender, listen, pay attention, four points, and I'm literally going to be done. Okay? The only way we surrender to the will of God is if we understand who he is as Lord. Like, do you ever think about the lordship of Jesus? Like, do you... Ever think about the fact that Jesus is not your buddy? He isn't your co-pilot that you turn to when you all of a sudden have need. He isn't your business partner. He is the creator God who sacrificed his own life so that we could live. The God who is holy, completely other than. He is completely separate. He is to be feared. He is to be revered. And he is to be worshipped. He alone is Lord. And we have to wake up to this reality. It is the understanding, it's in, listen, it's in understanding him as Lord that gives us confidence in God's leadership in every decision because we recognize he is eternal and greater than. Like there is freedom and awakening to the reality of God's Lordship. Like we asked that question in our small group on on Tuesday, someone said, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to have such a holy reverence that I feel drawn to him because of his love, his affection, but also for the need to turn away at the other time because he's so much bigger and brighter and bigger than I just can't believe. So it's like, I'm like, oh, God, this is so awful and amazing at the same time because you're so completely other than You're not my buddy, you're Lord, but you draw me in to be your friend. It's that paradox, right? We have this holy, holy reverence, but this intimate tenderness at the exact same time, and we live in that this beautiful paradox. We his Lord. It's the whole point James is trying to make at the beginning of us being a mist and him not. So you have to actually believe he's Lord. You actually actually have to live in that reality that he knows more than you do, is bigger than, and can be trusted. Do you believe you can trust him? Do you believe you can hope in him? If not, it means that you have a small view of his lordship and you're actually trying to lean into self. Second, you have to invite him to lead in every decision. I don't mean what type of toothpaste to use and coffee to buy. I don't mean that. You know the decisions I'm talking about. Those decisions, man, is like it just requires God's leadership in the moment because I need to know what he says. You know those decisions you make. And so you have to invite him in. Every decision we make in business, relationship, living, decisions that matter, James is expecting that as Christ followers, we invite Jesus, say, Jesus, I have all these thoughts, but ultimately I submit them to you. And then what do we do, three? Then we listen. And here's the thing about it. Hear this. This is really important. We listen to God without giving him time restrictions 
of how much time he has to talk to us. We don't give him time restrictions. He's like, I got 30 days. You got to hurry up. I got 30 minutes, God. You got to hurry up, right? Like he may just lovingly speak to you. That'd be great. But when I come to the Lord saying, God, you are Lord. I want to listen. And how long do I listen? I listen until he speaks. End of story. I say, God, no time limits. You recognize sometimes God, this happens a lot. When you put time restrictions on God, he usually wants to lead and teach you. So he makes sure he speaks outside of your time restrictions. That's just how he works. We call it God's timing. And that's true. But many times, because like you do that to your kids, I didn't know right now. Like you can just wait on me. How do you know right now, Dad? A.K., he's got to wait, babe. What for? Because it's just good for you to learn, right? That's just how it works. And God does the same things to us. We listen without time restrictions. Say, God, you speak when you want to speak. And then when he speaks, number four, it's super simple. Do what he says. Obey. Obey. Listen and obey. So, the last thing I want to leave you with is a, is a be careful to be careful. When I say to be careful, I mean it's something that I, I learned in high school as it relates to making decisions that were, that are involving time and my personal time preferences. And it's the story of Saul and Samuel from 1 Samuel chapter 13. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, there's a decision to be made because Saul is with his armies. He and like a thousand, like like 3,000 in total, they are going against the Philistine army, which is like 10,000 people. And scripture tells us in 1 Samuel 13, the people are like the Israelites are so scared going into battle. They're literally like, and they're having to wait. They're having to wait for the battle because Samuel has said, listen, do not go into the battle against the Philistines, right? Don't go into battle with the Philistines until I come and offer the sacrifice. Okay. I'm going to offer the sacrifice of the, uh, showing our submission to the Lord, and we're going to be completely submitted to him, and that he will give us victory as we go into the battle. Right? Okay, fantastic. So, Samuel says, give me seven days. And so, they're sitting there hiding in the woods, hiding behind rocks, afraid the Philistines are going to come and kill them. Right? And so, they're sitting there. So, the seventh day comes, and the seventh day goes. And they're like, what are we going to do? Samuel didn't show up. Ah, and Saul goes, give me the fire. I will light the sacrifice. And they go grab it. They light the fire. As soon as the fire's lit, the blaze begins to burn. Guess who shows up? Samuel. Samuel shows up, and this is what he says. It's not on the screen, I want you to hear it. What have you done? You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command of the Lord. And the idea was that God's blessing for the future of Saul's life, it was denied in the moment. Read it, 1 Samuel 13. Part of my mechanism, every decision that I make is I come before the Lord and I pray and say, God, help me not to be Saul, to take up the fire on my own and try to make things happen. Every time. Every time I say, God, I am a leader. 
I have people who follow me. I'm completely content starting fires myself. I, you told me I was dangerous, God, but help me not to go light the fire in my own time because you don't meet me in the time restriction that I give you. Help me to sit back, listen, trust you, and relax in the confidence that you were Lord and that I'm not and that you're good and you will move in your perfect timing because that's what you do. I just share that story as a reminder for part of your mechanism. God, help me not to be like Saul. In turn, you can just go read the whole story. David, help me be like David. Remember the story of David, little boy? You're going to be king over Israel. And then what did he have to do? Wait and wait and suffer, and suffer. He had that moment where he could have taken Saul's life right then in the cave and taken over. He said, no, because it's not the Lord's will and his timing. I just pull back, and I'll be patient, and I will wait for your perfect timing. And it was hard, and it was difficult, and seemingly cost him everything. But it was perfect, and he moved into it because... Mechanism, the mechanism, I guarantee you, David knew Saul's story. He says, I don't want to be like Saul. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you this morning that you are Lord and you are perfect in your timing. Father, there's so many things about life that we just don't understand and things that we maybe even question if we're in our honesty with you about your ability and your lordship and what it means and how it applies to difficult situations in our life. But ultimately, God, we know that you are over all things. And although we may not understand, we say today, God, that you are good. And we trust you. And I pray this morning, Lord, for each person here, God, who maybe in their mechanism have pulled back from trusting Jesus, maybe never really had that as part of their mechanism of saying, I've processed these things, but ultimately your will be done. God, I will sit back and I will wait until you release me in these major life decisions. I pray today, God, just that beautiful conviction to say, hey, it's not too late Here's your grace period. Let's just add this mechanism to your life and then grow into it over time. Because as we give ourselves the mechanism of trusting God, over time we just get better at it. So I thank you, God, when we don't do great at it, your grace is present. That's the nature of the cross and the resurrection. That God, when we fail in the moment, you're willing to forgive us and continue to move, move us forward with you. But I do pray, Jesus, for today that you would take those who are Christian business leaders, those who are leaders in general, and those who, and all of us who are making decisions every day, would you help us create a mechanism where we're trusting and listening to, in relationship, processing with you, and then obeying. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So I invite you to respond this morning as the Lord leads, so we'll have... Uh, New at Vintage, we take up our offering every day. Just every Sunday, so we get through our offering baskets here. 
if you're like a comer, like you either come forward. If you don't like to come forward, there's a little giving box back there, and you can just put stuff in there. Um, if you're a first-time guest at Vintage, then on your way out, take your Connect card to uh, Rosemary, who is over here, and she can hand you the first the first-time gift basket or, or bag that has a coffee mug in it. It's information about Vintage. We have communion available every Sunday because we don't just want to remember what God did. We want to recognize His grace that was present and His body being broken, His blood being poured out is present today for everything that's going on. His power, His blessing, His goodness, and His nearness. And as we take communion, there's fresh grace for us again as we take it. And the third, we have ministry teams on both sides. And ministry teams are simply this. Hey, we just want to help pray for you that God's will would occur in your life. We're just going to be a friend to you, come alongside of you, and love on you. And if those get full, then somebody else will come forward, and they would pray for you also. Okay? So with that, ministry teams come forward. You respond to the Lord leads. We'll worship for one song. I'll come back up, and I'll close this up.